0: We have been going through a series talking about men and women of the Bible, and we've had an opportunity to really step in and look at the lives of some individuals whose faith and whose behaviors give us a picture of what it looks like to walk and live by faith. And today, we're going to look at someone who is led by her love and her commitment to someone, to really a family and a people that are completely different from herself, and, and as we begin to think about this person, we're going to talk about Ruth. I want you to look around at, at our church. You know, it, it's it's not a mistake that there are people here from from various ethnicities, from different races, from different cultural backgrounds, from different socioeconomical backgrounds. I myself am from two different places. My mom's Korean. My dad is white. I'm not sure. And and I I, I have experienced the benefit of people coming together, despite their differences, to express a love and a commitment that reflects the gospel. And and so much of what we see in the life of Ruth, in her convictions, expresses the truth of the gospel and, and God's desire to, to bring Jew and Gentile together to create a multifaceted, multicolored uh, vision of his glory. So go ahead and Open your Bibles to, to Ruth chapter 1. It's a punch of text, so I'm going to read it. But if you'll stand with me just as a way of reverencing God's word, I'm going to read it. I'm going to start from verse 6 and go all the way to verse 18. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited the people, his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find a rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should, if I should say that I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they're grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will you lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more if also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, there is a commitment that we see in your word, the commitment that you have to your people that is expressed in your people's commitment to one another. Lord, we see in Ruth a love that expresses itself in a tenacious, confirmed commitment. And God, I pray that as we hear about Ruth's life as we consider how she responds to Naomi that you would stir in our own hearts a commitment and a love for your people a commitment and a love that that supersedes any other dividing lines that would separate us Father God would you make us a people whose love is expressed through this kind of commitment whose love overlooks an offense, whose love overlooks differences, doesn't erase those differences, but, but rises above them and doesn't, doesn't prefer one over another. Would you help us now, Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So family, we see Ruth here. In this situation, and, and if you look in your, well, in your paper Bibles, um, <laughs> uh, Ruth happens right after Judges, and it's placed there because it, it's, she exists in this cusp between the, the Judges and the kings. So right towards the end of the period of the Judges who ruled over Egypt, or not Egypt, ruled over Israel, the people of Israel, before they, they asked for a king. And if you look at verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn, or to travel and, and live temporarily in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So we see this guy, and, and you, you find out his name is uh, uh, Elimelech. He goes to Moab because there's a famine in Bethlehem. So he goes to a foreign country, a foreign nation to live there in order to provide for his wife, Naomi, and their two children, uh, two boys, uh, Malon and uh, Chilion. Now, while they're in Moab and while they're living in this foreign land, the husband dies. This is, this is a bad thing. I mean, not just because of the relationship there, but also because he's the providing force for that family. He's the one who's providing for for Naomi and these these two boys, and so Naomi uh, finds a way to to get these boys married to some women, and and they they begin to try to build families. Now they live in Moab for about ten years. They're married to these two women, uh, Orpah and and Ruth, but then the worst happens. Both Malon and, and Chilion also die. And so Naomi is in a foreign land in Moab with these foreign women, Ruth and Orpah. And she hears word, as we see in, chapter, or in verse 6, uh, she hears word in the fields of Moab that the Lord has vid- visited his people and given them food. So in, in the land of Bethlehem, there is food. There is bread. And so she decides to return. So we see, and we started in in verse 6, but we see in verse 8 that... That she begins this process of returning, but she says to her two daughters-in-law, Go, you return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. She says, you guys have been amazing. You have been kind to me. You've cared for my my sons. You've been faithful to my sons and and been kind. But you're young. Go go back to your mother's homes and, and find... Other husbands, get remarried. Find someone who can provide for you because she is a, a widow in a, in a culture and a, a place and a time where, where widow, widows were not cared for. She was in a bad place. She didn't have a whole lot of prospects going back to Bethlehem. And so she says, you guys go back. She's she She's hurt. And, and so she, she goes and she blesses them and she says, you know what? May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. May you find a husband and may you be restful there. And it's interesting that, that at this point she says, go back, but, but what happens? In verse 13, or sorry, verse nine, it says this. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. Both ladies say, no, we will return with you to your people, and so we see this initial sense of a commitment, right? It's great, Orpah's doing good, Ruth is doing good. They've committed to this woman. They are her family. They are her daughters-in-law. They haven't stopped being her daughters-in-law just because the, the, the sons have died. And they say, no, no, no. We will, we will return to you. But there is a bitterness and a, and a sadness in Naomi that, that wants to push back against any sense of, of commitment that these women have. So she, she rebuffs them and she says in verse 11, turn back, my daughters, now, she doesn't say daughters-in-law. She says, daughters, there's a sense of, of, of love towards them, but, but she's pushing back, and he says, will you go with me? Will you go with me? Really? Have I yet sons in my womb that, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, daughters, for I am too old. And she goes on to describe, you know, if I were to have a, a husband right now, and we, we just got married, consummated the relationship, and I had some kids, would you wait? You want to wait 20 more years? And, and she's kind of half-heartedly facetiously hinting at this it, it, there was a there was a cultural practice called a, a, a leverite leveret leveret there leveret a leveret marriage where if if someone died then the next of kin usually a brother would, would marry the widow in order to provide uh, a, a a descendant and so she kind of half-hearted you guys want to wait for that is that what you're looking for is that what you're saying it's almost as if she doesn't see that they they're committed to her it's it's as if they're looking she thinks that they're looking to her to provide and saying I can't provide. There's a there's a bitterness there there's a tinge to her perspective that she is saying I can't provide. She's hurt. She even goes so far to say it, that the God's sovereignty is against her. It's it's exceedingly bitter she says that in verse thirteen, no my daughters, it for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord of the Lord has gone out against me. Right, the same God who she is invoked to to bring blessing, she says, That God is against me. The Lord is against me, and, and I'm I'm upset about it for your sake that, that the Lord his hand is against me. Now I, I just want to pause in this moment and say that, that the author doesn't necessarily condemn her for her emotional response. And I I hope that's an encouragement to you that that perhaps, as Pastor Jermaine hinted at, maybe you're in a season or a period of time where you look at the sovereignty of God and it doesn't comfort you. You see the circumstances of your life and it doesn't necessarily bring you peace. Maybe there are moments where you're actually angry at what God has allowed to happen, what God has done through his sovereignty, through his providence. The good news is that God is gracious to us in our pain. It says in Psalm 34 that that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. It says in verse 18, none of those who take refuge, refuge in him will be. Nope, that's not the right one. That's true though. It's in verse 22. <laughs> the Lord, I didn't want to just... In verse 18, it says, The Lord is near the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. You know, there's a, there's a dance there. The Lord, Yahweh, God who's all powerful, is near those who are brokenhearted. He's near those who, who he's allowed to become brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit, those whom he has allowed to become crushed in spirit. The tough thing about scripture is it doesn't necessarily always give us an answer to why there is suffering in the world. It doesn't say, well, this is the reason, this is the logical progression for for sin and suffering and brokenness in the world. Oftentimes, it just says, I am here. God, why am I suffering? Like Naomi says, why am I, I am bitter towards you, God. I am bitter towards what you've done. And, And what the Bible doesn't do is say, well, this is the reason why. This is the reason why I've allowed. It just says, I am with you. Emmanuel, God with us. In, in, in the period before Jesus came, there was this period of, of silence, prophetic silence, where, where no prophet had spoken. And then John comes and, and he begins to usher in the coming of Christ. And what, what is he called? Emmanuel, God with us. The answer that God gives is his presence. <clears throat> Side note. The author does not condemn her for her, her bitterness, not at this point at least. And it's important for us to remember, and I want to encourage you that God is close to the brokenhearted. Now, both women had ignored, if we look at verse 10, both women had ignored her first request. She says, you know what, y'all, y'all go back home. And she, they say in verse 10, no, we will return to you and your people. But she, she comes harder this time, as we, talk, we said. And she says, you want to come with me? You think I, I have something to provide? I, can't, I have nothing to give you. I have nothing to give you. How did they respond? Look at verse 14. They lifted their voices and wept again. It's interesting that both Orpah and Ruth are, are clearly upset. Both times they, they weep, and there's no sense of, of irony in it. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Here we see, we see two things. We see a commitment being recalled and a commitment being confirmed. In Orpah, we see this commitment that she recalls. She says, you know what? Never mind. I'm taking you back. And again, it doesn't seem to be an immoral choice. She isn't necessarily sinning. She's, she's not done anything wrong. She's been freed from her obligation toward her mother-in-law. Her, her husband has died, and, and there's nothing there that demands that she do anything. There's nothing there that says, if you don't go with this woman, you'll be in sin. But it's not the best choice. We find out later because Ruth is the means by which Naomi's life is, is restored and saved. And had she not, it's likely that Naomi would have gone into poverty and maybe even died. So although Orpah's choice is not, not one of wickedness or evil, it, it, it's not the highest and best. And if we are led by, by, by less than this commitment of love that God lays out for us, we may choose things that are not terrible, but they're not the best. You may be free to make a lot of choices, but that doesn't mean it's the best choice. A lot of people... We, I meet so many people who go to this church and that church and this church and that church. And, you know, the Bible doesn't say word for word. If you, if you don't commit yourself to this one particular church for the rest of your life, you know, everything is terrible and it's a sin. And it's not. I mean, there, there are seasons sometimes where you have to leave a church and there are seasons where, you, you know, this is the place for you or that's the place for you. But there's a blessing that comes from commitment, there's a blessing that comes from saying, "I'm committed to this, these people. I'm committed to this house, to this body, to this family, beyond its comfort and beyond its its uh, its ease, beyond how convenient it is." Orpa makes a choice that is not a great choice, and I wonder why? Why does she change her mind? Because in verse ten it says. She's saying with Ruth, no, we will return with you to your people. She she knows the situation. She knows Naomi. It's not like she's surprised by what Naomi says afterwards. She she knows, and yet, what changes between verse 10 and verse 14? I'm just speculating, but maybe maybe she thought she could benefit from the relationship with Naomi. Maybe maybe she was holding on to something that, you know, Naomi's going to be able to get me something that I need. And once Naomi makes it very clear that she's not going to get her something that she needs, she severs the relationship. Maybe. Maybe she has a really thin sense of loyalty in her, and the moment that, that Naomi pushes back hard, uh, she says, well, I'm, f- I'm free of that obligation. It's kind of like the, the college no. You're like, hey, why don't you come have dinner with us? No, that's okay. You don't, you know, I don't need to do that. No, you should come with us. Okay. <laughs> <You know. laughs> no, I, I, got the, I got the meal. I'm going to cover it. No, that's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll pay, no, no, really, I want to cover, okay, great, yes, you, you cover it, right, that's, that's the college no, it's the polite once with the hope that you will relieve me of this obligation with a second, a second pushback, and I'm, I'm making a joke, but there's some, there's some, there's some shallowness to the commitment that, that Orpah feels toward Naomi, and we're not exactly sure what that means, why that is. And while the, the writer of Ruth doesn't vilify Orpah for that, she does or he does. We we think it might have been Samuel, but whoever the writer is, we, we do think that they, they lift up Ruth's response. So whereas whereas Orpah recalls her commitment, we see that Ruth confirms her commitment with her action. Ruth clings. Look at verse 14 with me again. They lifted their voices and wept. Right, no, Naomi has said no, go away, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And the word there, "clung," is the same word that we see in Genesis chapter two, right after Adam and Eve are united, and it says in verse twenty-four, "Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, hold fast, cling." It, it represents a familial tie. Ruth has said, you are my family. Yeah. I don't just leave family. You are my family. Whereas Orpah, it was this relationship, there was a transactional sense to it. i have married, therefore we're connected. I'm not married, therefore we're not connected. Ruth has said, we are as good as flesh and blood. And she if it's not clear, she goes on. Do not urge me to leave, she said in verse 16. For where you go, I will go. Your purposes are my purposes. Your direction is my direction. Your forward is my forward. Your good is my good. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you stay, I will stay. Your home is my home. Your house smells like my house. Your weird house smell is my weird house smell. I bring that up a lot, but that is for real, that is your family. That is the most visceral description and and experience of your family as you can have, is the the smell that you have walking into your house. And that's the most visceral experience that you can have with someone else's family. As you walk in, you're like, this is someone else's family. This smells different. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Ruth is more, she's Forsaking Moab. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people. She, she's forsaking her Moabite national identity, identity to identify with Naomi. Your people will be my people. It's interesting, if we look at verse 10, when, they, when, when Orpah and, and Ruth say, no, we, we wanna stay with you, what they say is, No, we will return with you to your people. And then uh, Ruth flips it around a little bit and she says, no, not only will we return to your people, your people will be my people. And she, she even goes to say, your God will be my God. Ruth forsakes the gods of Moab for Yahweh. Now we don't know exactly the depth of that Forsaking. Maybe this is a, a full on conversion. Maybe this is a, a hint at, at, at some, some, some uh, nascent faith that's happening. Maybe there's, there's some growth. Maybe this is a full on, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing my hat in with Yahweh. It's a beginning, at least, of a trust in God. And, and it's interesting Ruth is not an Israelite, but she's calling Yahweh her God. Even in Ruth, see, don't get it it confused. The New Testament is not a surprise where Jesus comes and he says, all nations, when Acts 2, they start speaking in tongues and and people from different tribes and tongues, they they hear the gospel preached in their language. This is not something where God's like, what should I do? Nothing has worked. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna include all nations. No, Ruth is just pointing back to Abraham who's pointing back to to Adam and Eve where, where God said, my seed, the seed of Eve, is going to crush the seed of Satan. And Abraham was going to become a father of nations. And here we see with Ruth, she's a Moabite, Moabite woman. And, and I'll give you a, a, a spoiler. She marries Boaz and they become the grandparents of who? King David, who becomes the son of who? Or the, well, the father, grandfather, great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus Christ. Jesus has Moabite in his blood. He says, "Your God will be my God." Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter one, I'm going to read it out to you because it's really important. Sorry, not chapter one, chapter two. Listen to what he says about about Jews and Gentiles. Therefore, remember that at one time you Jews, or sorry, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was our position as Gentiles. Now, maybe there are some ethnic Jews in here and that's fine. That doesn't apply to you directly. Um, It does apply to me. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, so that he might reconcile us both to God. God's intention from the beginning was to bring together Jew and Gentile. This nation, that nation, this nation, that nation. That didn't mean that he, he erased the differences. Right at Pentecost, what didn't happen is everyone started speaking English because that's God's language. No. You had people speaking this language and that language, Aramaic and, and Greek and other languages that I hadn't looked into. It doesn't mean that that my 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 black friend is is uh, you know I'm colorblind to his black. No, he maintains his his heritage, but he brings that into Christ and redeems it. I bring my whiteness and my Koreanness into Christ, and I redeem that. And we come together as a new nation yes. of diverse peoples. Look around the room; it's totally awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got people from all over the place. That was God's intention. And it's, it's hinted at here in, in Ruth. Your God is my God. This is a picture of what Christ came to accomplish in the New Testament. And she goes on to say, where you die, I will die. Right? This is the original ride or die. I mean, this is well before that. Is our, I mean, she is, but she's serious. Right? I'm going where you're going. I'm dying where you're dying. I'm gonna be buried where you're buried. There are certain things that you just don't do with your friends. You don't. You don't say I'm going to. I'm going to go buy a, a a plot of land for my casket. You want to come with me? No, that's a family thing. You have a family plot. This is the this is the barns plot. That's dark, but. But when, when, when Ruth says, where you're buried, I'll be buried, she's saying, I am of you. Her commitment to Naomi was thorough and complete, and her love was evidenced by this commitment. Now, the, the thing about it is, is, like Ruth, we are called to love a people who are not of us. We're not just called to a club of, of people who are like us. We're not just called to, to love people who are similar to us. You know, I would say most of you are not super like me. That's probably good for you. <laughs> but, but we get to come together and be committed to one another under Christ because Christ has, he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. The things that divide us, he's broken down in order that, that we might bring the things that are different and redeem them before Christ and celebrate them. We're called to love those who are different. And, and that has to happen in the context of, of a commitment. It's easy, to, oh, I, you know, I love those people over there. You know, I, I really care about such and such group. Well, that's easy to do when you never hang out with them. It's easy to do when you you don't have to listen to their music. It's easy to do when you don't have to go over to their house and smell their house. It's easy to do when you don't have to eat their food. You understand where I live. It's all about tastes and smells. There's a kind of commitment that says, I'm gonna be about you and I'm gonna be about your life and I'm gonna enter into it. Where you go, I will go. Where Jermaine goes, I will go. Where we've gone, have I mean, they, North Carolina, Virginia, we're doing things together. We're doing things here in Sterling. The people in Sterling, I want them to come to our church and feel like, hey, these are my people. Where, where I go, they go. My God is their God. The things that bring us together is, is God. And, and the fact that this is our home and, and we have a God who has brought us here. Not the fact that I listen to 104.1 or you listen to 91.9 or I listen to 99.5 or, you know, you listen to serious. Whatever. What brings us together is the fact that we are under Christ. In Christ. Through Christ. To Christ. To quote Pastor Jermaine. I was about to be like, you know what? You just do that. It's so good. Family. Christ came to love those who were different and to enable us to be people who loved and were committed to those who were different. We talk about experiencing Christ, we talk about experiencing community and extending this kingdom. That comes that comes at a cost and that cost is commitment. It's not it's not some weird I'm not asking you to be weird. I'm not asking you to to just ignore weirdness and just do bad things in the name of, of, well, this is my church and that's church authority. No, 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 no. We're all under God's authority. But God's authority does command us to live and love the same way that Christ came to live and love. To commit in the same way that Christ came to commit to his people. Right? He had a pretty decent spot in heaven. But he committed to people who didn't love him, didn't like him. On the cross, dying, he's looking at them and saying, man, forgive them. I, you know, I, I got to work with this group of people. These are going to be my people, and you're going to be faced with people who give you opportunity after opportunity to, to give up on them. They're going to say to you, like Naomi, "Just go somewhere else. It's not worth it. I don't have anything to offer." And our call, because of Christ, is to love people who don't have anything to offer us. Yeah. To to be like Ruth, because Christ has been good to us. Because Christ has broken down this wall, has brought us to God himself. I pray that we would be a people whose commitment is clear. Our commitment to God and our commitment to one another. I pray that, that anyone in here who's, you're on the fringes or, or you're new, welcome to grace. It's a little intense, but, but I, I want you to know that, that being part of this people means that you have people who are committed to you and your well-being, not just because you bring something to the table, but because you're Christ's. I care about you because you are Christ. I don't care about you because you can serve on Sunday. I care about Sterling. I care about Leesburg. I care about Ashburn. I care about Fall um, Falls. I mean, I'm almost said Falls in the news. That's in North Carolina. But Great Falls. I, I, I care about these, these places because God cares about him and his people are there. People to whom we've been called to be committed. Would you love like that? Would you allow God to, to communicate his love to other people through your love to them? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you love us. I thank you that you give us a picture in Ruth of a love that commits to the point. It's, it's a ride or die love. I pray that you would help us to know first and foremost that that's the kind of love that you love us with. And then out of that confirmation that we'd be able to love others that way. The good news, family, is that, that Jesus chooses to love the unlovable, chooses to overcome our sin and disobedience toward God. He did this by living a perfect life, a righteous life, a good life on, on earth, the only good perfect life on earth, and then dying on the cross, bearing the punishment and the wrath of God for sin. And then he rose again on the third day, defeating Satan, sin, and death, And we have the opportunity of living in relationship with God by putting our faith and our trust, not in our own ability to make ourselves right, not in our own ability to to approach God, but because of what Jesus Christ did. If you want to trust in Jesus Christ today, if you want to call Jesus's people your people and, and his God, your God, if Yahweh is your God, can you just raise your hand? I just want to pray for you. Awesome, once that that hand is up, you can put it back down. All right, just pray this with me. Father, I I confess my sin to you and I turn away from everything that I know to be sin in order to trust in you. And I pray that you you would help me to live life in this family, this family that you've created through the blood of Christ. And Father God, I pray that you would make us a people whose commitment is clear and it's confirmed through our actions, a commitment to love one another, to sacrifice on the behalf of one another, to care for one another, regardless of what we can get from one another. Lord, make us that kind of people. Would you do that? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.